0: Welcome to. Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our countdown of our top. 10 Division 1 men's college tennis teams heading into the 2023 season of course if you missed our breakdown of number 10 USC, number 9 Georgia or number 8 Kentucky all you gotta do is scroll down in your Great Shot podcast feed of course you'll also see our preview of teams 10 through 7 on our Division 1 women's preseason poll as well as again our goal here at Cracked Rackets is to prepare all of you college tennis fans for a Another jam packed action. Thrilling year of college tennis. Of course, here on today's show, we get into the number seven team in our men's preseason poll. We'll look at all angles, all aspects of the 2023 Stanford Cardinal. And of course, if we're going to be previewing a top 10 division one men's team, you know, who's going to be joining me on the podcast to do just that. You know him, of course, as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames. Of course, a man we affectionately call the professor around here. It's our dear friend, Chris Hallioris. Chris, hey, great shot. Fourth episode now up in the books, or I should say now up for grabs. I feel like we're flying through these, my friend.
1: Yeah, definitely you know, a little late start this year, so we're uh we're pumping them out quick, a couple of week, but uh yeah, I kind of like it that way. It gives a it packs more fun into the uh into the last month before we really get the season rolling.
0: I agree. And because there's not as much time to dwell on takes, I like the fact that some of the takes overlap. So you'll try to claim things perhaps about one team and you'll say, wait, didn't I just call that a weakness for the team one spot below them in the ranking? So how can I say this is a strength for this unit? Or again, I do like the nature of doing this all in the month of December because I think we're going to be able to react a little bit more fluidly to any December developments that do occur. And, you know, typically we like to start these. Shows with big news items, and I wouldn't say this is a massive news item for us to start the show with, Chris. But I did want to talk about something before we get into number seven, Stanford. And that's this I don't want to say it's a trend we see emerging because I think that's probably a step too far, but. Over the course of the past month, month and a half, we have had a few surprising resignations from a couple of head coaches that I'm curious to hear your reaction about. Now, uh, obviously, one of the big ones happened over at Texas Tech, Danny Whitehead leaving uh, the head coaching job there in his uh, letter statement, I suppose, announcing the release. He talked about the desire to spend more time with his family. Of course, you look at the announcement we got uh, over the past week as well. Certainly, I believe, and you you can correct me if I'm wrong here, I believe we got another resignation out of Penn, right? Where David DeLucia, DeLucia announced yeah, his yeah. decision to step away as head coach of the Penn men's tennis team. And again, it's just that we, it, we've gotten a, I don't want to say it's a, a pronounced amount of resignations, but I do feel like we've gotten enough, Chris, that it's popped to my attention at least. Certainly, I don't want me to lump him in because not every situation is the same but you know Tanner Stump another young coach we saw leave after this year and you feel like a guy who's having so much success right coming off of coaching back-to-back individual singles champion he's the associate head coach at Florida hard to imagine a better situation for a young up and coming coach you know i've talked about this with a couple of coaches off the record as well and obviously i'm not going to get into who says what but I do think this is a testament to it is just getting more and more difficult to become a college tennis head coach. The time demand, just the constant recruiting, fundraising, coaching, then trying to do anything in your own personal life or family. That balance, it is a grind, Chris, that we don't talk enough about.
1: It's an it's an absolute grind. And, and pro- I'm going to guess that every one of those scenarios you talked about are probably, uh, you know – different scenarios and, and everybody has their own story, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I don't know what went in to, you know, to Dan, I mean, obviously there's going to be turnover, even at the head coach level. If you talk about a couple hundred D one schools, and even if you say the average expectancy of a, of a head coach in the head coaching business period is 20 years. Well, that 10 a year must leave the business then. Right. I mean, now, Granted, many of them are just going to retire at the end of the season, and it's not going to be such big. Hey, I resign mid-year or something, right? Right when it gets going. So, so I don't, you know, I don't know, don't have any personal knowledge of what went into into the Danny Whitehead situation. But you know, I look at some of the others. You, you, so you mentioned Delucia, Penn. Clearly, okay, we'll we'll, we'll go with Delucia and and Tanner Stump both calling out family obligations, right? Yeah. A little different demographics. Delucia been around a long, long time, much older than Tanner. Tanner, a pretty young guy. Uh, different scenarios, but and for the same reasons and in different ways. I know Tanner very well. It is exactly, from his perspective, uh, what he said. And that was, you know, I want to be home with my kids. I've got three young kids at home now, all very, very young. Um, recruit, you know, th- these assistants, what a lot of people may not realize is it's not, you know, There's more assistant coach spending the summer traveling through Europe and wherever, you know, Africa, the Middle East, wherever they're going to try to recruit guys. They're doing a huge amount of that travel. It makes for one of the, you know, worst paying best benefit jobs in the world. Not the best pay in the world, but wow, you get to travel. But if you're a family guy, that's really, really rough. And then you get home and what do you do all year? You work long hours at the courts and then you travel every week, you know, every other weekend or something like that. You're not even home on the weekends. It's it's definitely a grind. So uh, so that's I mean, that is an unfortunate side effect there. And I think, uh, you know, those guys have to stick it out just to get to the head coaching level where maybe now it seems worth it. But in the end, if you're not the guy that just loves coaching and making a difference in young men's and or women's lives. If we're talking on the women's side, if that's not your motivation, it's not going to end up being the long-term job for you because you have to, you have to get that reward out of it and love it for the job that it is because the time it's going to take you away from your family is going to be, you know, significant.
0: And the problem now is if you do 80% of those things and you may do all 80% well, But someone else in a program elsewhere is doing the other 20% now. It's not just I'm at a Power Five school and so everything's going to fall at my feet. That's not how it works nowadays. There are too many coaches who are too hungry, too competitive, too successful. And again, like Texas Tech is a good job. Is it the best job in the Power Five? No. It's a good job to have as the men's tennis coach there. You feel like resources perspective wise certainly playing in lubbock is a unique home advantage that other schools may not always be accustomed to i mean certainly we've seen it on the women's side with texas tech being a perennial top 16 program on that wing you can get good players with power 5 money to come to texas tech similarly the ivy league's fascinating to me because again these past two and a half years You almost haven't been a head coach if you're Coach DeLucia, right? Like, you just haven't gotten to do all the things you typically got to do earlier in your career. And, you know, again, with the changing perspectives in collegiate athletics just in general, where do Ivy League athletics fit in? That's a very good question to ask. It's not the question we're going to explore here on today's show, but— Certainly, it's fascinating. That would be the word that keeps coming to mind is just, again, it these jobs, in theory, they're very, very appealing, right? The idea of being a college coach sounds great. You get to live, eat, breathe the sport of college tennis, something obviously you and I adore, and I imagine many of our listeners, you have to be feeling the same way if you're listening to the seventh-ranked preseason podcast here on the GSP, but it's just a stark reminder, to your point, right, of just how... You forget how much time is actually spent – coddling is the wrong word because – but sometimes it is coddling. But just managing nine different people's schedules and managing the fundraising, the recruiting – the the managerial things, the paperworks, the billables, the hey, did we get our expense refor- reports in? Hey, did we file that with the NCA compliance? Are we following the rules? You forget about all the little shit, Chris, and I, I just think this is a stark reminder of that.
1: Yeah. Oh, it, it absolutely is, and then people don't realize, you know, like a lot of that stuff you mentioned that, you know, that's where you see a lot of and different programs do it do it differently, but you that's the division. The head coach is responsible for a lot of that, has to figure out how to dole it out. A a lot of the assistants take the reins and the leads and the recruiting. And that's not just going on trips, right? That is now the day's over. You go home and what do you do at home? You don't just magically decide, oh, you know what? I'm just going to fly over to some grade one junior tournament in Serbia and and see who's there. No, you've had to like message every single one of these kids. And how do you even know how to message them? You've got to do all the – you're sitting at home – hours every single night going through this while your wife's staring at you with your kids going uh you want to play with the kids honey
0: it's Uh, also like hey honey i'm trying to think of the right joke to make this 16 year old respond to my message on instagram what do you think (laughs) like is this funny and then they're like are you want me to judge humor for a 16 year old kid like i got no clues
1: (laughs) yeah yeah, no, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a different world certainly than it was, you know, 20 years ago and it's a, and and it's a lot more demanding now because
0: of it. You know, absolutely. And again, that's why the turnover has happened. I'll also say this, there are a lot of people who express interest in college coaching. Be careful what you wish for because it is not going to be, oh, nice, we got Indiana and Purdue this weekend, and then we're doing the Minnesota-Wisconsin swing, and that's all I have to think about. It's like, no, 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 no. You know what you're actually doing in between those two swings because you think life's going to be easy for yourself? Go fundraise, motherfucker, Or like, you know, go uh, check out the, B- the ITF B2 Banana Bowl in the Dominican Republic, right? Like all these different things that you know, again, don't pop out to you. It's what makes the profession fascinating. There's no doubt about that, and that's what allows good coaches perhaps to separate themselves is that they do take care of all of the little details year after year after year. But just a trend. I, I'm curious. Worth bringing up, Chris? Worth worth mentioning? Yeah, definitely
1: worth mentioning.
0: All right, then we got the stamp of approval from the fake editor over to here, Chris Hallioris, our fake senior editorial producer, I suppose, here at Crack Rackets. But with that said, uh, I suppose there's your news item here for today's show. Let's get back to the script as we continue again our preview of the 2023 college tennis season, counting down our preseason top 10 teams. We reach number seven. In our men's rankings, and a reminder again, USC 10, Georgia 9, Kentucky 8. We decided on the Stanford Cardinal to end up at the number 7 spot. And I'll say this, maybe this moment more than any other Chris, I miss Maddie because this is where Matty would be like, the, you mean the Cardinal? Never the Cardinal. It's like he's always so emphatic on, well, the thing about the Cardinal, and you just would always, <laughs> I, again, I miss that little <laughs> smirk on his face. You know exactly. You hear Chris laughing in the background. He knows precisely what I'm talking about. But look, 2022 was a really year, weird year for the Cardinal because they go 19-6. and six overall on the season. Let's keep in mind, Stanford has been maybe the Power 5 program most impacted over these two and a half years by all things related to COVID and the protocols and what you can and can't do, practice, offseason, etc. They were under some really strict rules at Stanford. And as such, they maybe haven't had the freedom from a practice time perspective that every program has had over the past two and a half years. That said, again, superficially last season 19 and 6 overall 10 and 0 at home 6 and 2 in conference play their two conference losses coming 4-2 at Arizona not a bad loss 4-3 at USC not a bad loss again only six total losses on this season they ultimately get to the round of 16 in really impressive fashion two good wins over Mississippi State and at Harvard to get there and then they play a really fun match, 4-3 against Baylor, which, ask anyone who's there on that day in Waco, not only was that maybe the best crowd in Baylor men's tennis history that ultimately powers Baylor over the finish line, but look, Stanford played a really good ball. Stanford almost had them in that match, and certainly Stanford taking the doubles point in the fashion that they did, and, you know, obviously, rothsart Probably the more experienced hand compared to Finn Bass, particularly after Rothser takes that second set from Finn going into the decider. Uh, you know, the, obviously, two a couple of huge tie breaks go the way of Baylor at the end of second sets as well. But and I'm not discrediting—you <laughs> guys can all see who's in the back of my head here. I'm not trying to discredit what Baylor did to win that match 4-3. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. Stanford was playing their best tennis of the season last year, and you just ask yourself if the Stanford that had a locked-in Ferry, a locked-in Geller, because Axel was a different player in the NCAA tournament than he was during his final regular season with all due respect, and I think he'd be the first one to admit that. But boy, we saw the ceiling of that Stanford team in the round of 16 and how good they could have been last year, Chris. And so when I get to our first category, of course, when you look back at 2022, 19-6, and six, they make the national indoors, round of 16 exit at the NCAA tournament. Did the Stanford team exceed expectations, underperform, or get things just right last year?
1: I mean, I, I feel like it's been the same story for many, many years. I, I, they underperformed. I mean, it's hard to look at that scale. Like you said, no bad losses. You don't find a bad loss on there. But I would have, I still expected a little more and didn't expect them, you know, did not expect them to bow, you know, preseason for sure. We would have said, yeah, if they're not, if they're not in the quarterfinals, it's probably, they, they came up short and they, that's exactly what happened.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's the only way you can go. And again, who are the six losses to? They lost three times to USC during the regular season. USC, another round of 16 team, obviously a conference foe as well. They played four times. They went one and three against the Trojans, I believe, overall on the year. Whatever. That is what it is. The other losses: 4-3 to Baylor, 4-3 to South Carolina, 4-2 at Arizona. Again... This is a team that played a lot of good teams, extraordinarily close, even in the mat- matches they did lose. But I guess the flip side would be, Chris, what's the outstanding win that they racked up during the year? I don't think you can say the USC win that they got right after the national indoors, be- uh, right after kickoff weekend, excuse me, before the national indoors, because. USC went on to beat them the next three matches that they played. Like, yeah, they got a good win over Pepperdine, 5-2, a good win over Texas A&M, 4-3. Played well throughout the conference tournament, no doubt. But I think, you know, again, other than the Harvard win, 4-3, round of 32, an NCAA tournament where they clearly found their best form once again, did this team have a bad loss last year? No, but I don't know if they had an exceptional win outside of maybe that Harvard match.
1: Yeah, exactly. They're just and, and that's, you know, to some extent a byproduct of the fact that uh, you know, there's you know, well, a metaphor. USC you. And Stanford were the class of the Pac-12, and you know, yes, throw Arizona in there, but they lost Arizona. Uh, you know, it they're just they didn't have a lot of opportunity and and they didn't have the, you know, the strongest uh, you know, spoiler alert, I, I it kind of looks similar, but didn't have the strongest non-conference schedule they got a little better this year uh but but yeah not nothing great nothing to hang their hats on for sure
0: yeah and the metaphor I would turn to is you know how I think it I don't remember if this was on the men's or women's side who what team we were talking about but I made a metaphor on a different podcast that the sum is greater than the whole of its parts this yeah, team, not- the sum, equaled the whole of the parts. Like, it just was like, here are the parts, this is what you get. And I do think to some extent, this team last year, if you didn't have the talent to hang with Ferry, to hang with Geller, to hang with Basing, you were down 3-0 pretty darn quickly. And just, you know, again, for this team all last year, Geller 12-6 and 6 overall on the season, but... Play pretty well uh, against lesser ranked teams. You look for Basing last year. He went 18 and two in dual match play. You know, loses a match at the number four spot early on. Loses a match at the number two spot as well. But uh, you know, those are his only two losses throughout the course of the year. And then obviously Arthur Ferry, who was one of the best players of the fall, made a run to the all, uh, to the national fall final. He goes 11 and five at the number one single spot. They were really freaking solid in that one through three, one through four position. It's also worth noting for this team, they were hoping to have Tristan Boyer at the start of last season, and you do wonder if you throw Boyer into the mix, and now you have an informed Boyer, fairy, Geller, Basing. That would have been a really fun top four to partner with. You know, you push Sa, Sridhar, Chaudhry down the lineup there early, and we thought they might have uh, Boyer to start the season. Ultimately, obviously, they didn't. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I do think when you look at the core they had, the parts that were available to them why you have to say underperform is a this team came extra they were a, you know a whisker away from knocking off Baylor at Baylor last year and you just feel like maybe if they go 2 and 2 instead of 1 and 3 against USC or i don't know they 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 sneak out one of the the matches either Arizona or South Carolina this team very much could have been a top 8 seed right and by missing out on that fact they ultimately get the Baylor draw that's why you gotta go underperform, right? Ultimately, that that would be the synopsis of it all.
1: Yeah. Plus, I just think, you know, going into the year, yes, A, you thought you were gonna have Boyer until a you know spectacular meltdown at All Americans. Um I the if you tell me that I've got I I've got Geller and Roth coming back, I've got Boyer and, and and then I've got Ferry and Basing. I mean, Rozart didn't play a match at five all year. With Boyer in there, he could have been playing five. Yeah, I, I would, ex, you know, would have expected him to be outstanding at playing five. I mean, yeah, I just, I just expect, I expected more than a round of sixteen exit in in the NCAA's. There's, there's no doubt.
0: No, I mean, Stanford was a team we had huge arguments about last season. If you go back to the preseason pod, I think. Two of the three of the Holy Trinity were really high on Stanford, and I think one of the three who may be speaking at this moment, I don't want to confirm or deny, was not as high on the Stanford Cardinal and may have anticipated perhaps some struggles uh, for that lineup, particularly at the bottom half. But look, here's the thing. When you look at the Stanford team heading into this season, let's start with the returners they do bring back. Certainly, there are a lot of good players across the country. You feel like for the University of Virginia, they would bring back their superstar juniors, Rodash, von der Schulenburg, Montes, and be like, you know what, everyone else can leave, and we'll figure out the rest from there. But in terms of a core two, three guys to bring back, I'll tell you what, Chris, things could be worse than Arthur Ferry and Max Basing, who wouldn't you look to start the season, certainly Ferry with what he was able to prove last year, his ATP ranking being where it is alongside of Basing, who was exceptional throughout the course of the fall. And I thought played really well at both, uh, played particularly well at the IT All-American earlier this season. Those are two good pieces to start off with, right? From a returner's perspective.
1: Yeah. and, and, You don't even that that may not even be one, two. And we're going to get into that. But yes, from a returning perspective, you'll you know, you'll take those with anybody. Right. You would have, you know, I'm sure Coach Goldstein would have said, sure, give me give me ferrying bait. I'll take my ferry and basing and and see your uh, Diallo and Draxel, if it were, which (laughs) it didn't come out to be right. Or, you know, you you pick the combo. He I, I my guess is he'd have rolled with those two guys against anyone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, again, when you look for Max Basing, two dual match losses last year. He went twenty three and four overall. You could make a case he was the best freshman, not named Murphy Cassone in all of college tennis last season. Was that reliable for his team from start to finish? And then again, with Ferry, I know eleven and five at the number one spot, twenty four and eight overall in singles. 11-5 and doesn't sound particularly enticing, but just a reminder for those of you who perhaps didn't follow it too closely, Arthur Ferry, now top 500 in the world. He's currently sitting at number 474, is the 20-year-old. You look at what he was able to accomplish over the course of the past six months, wins two 25K titles, makes another final as well at a 25K in the middle of October. I mean, it's a guy who clearly was working on his game throughout the course of the offseason. Now, interesting, some would say, well, he lost in three sets to Charlie Broom in Calgary, round of 32 at the Calgary Challenger. He loses to Liam Draxel, three and four at the Drummondville Challenger. All right, like those would be two of the 10 best players in college, I mean, Draxel will be in college tennis here this season. The point is, I think we know Ferry's level is that of a high quality number one singles player. He's earned that benefit of the doubt. And again, I'm not going to hold two challenger losses late in the season against him, given all the summer success he had on the pro circuit. And, you know, again, I I do think the numbers speak for themselves uh, in terms of Max Basing and what he was able to do in the fall five and two. I wanted to see who he beat specifically because there was a match I'm blanking on. Oh, here are the wins just quickly. Beat Zeverts in three sets, beat Toby Samuel in three sets, beat CM Waldieb in three sets, beat Famba in straights, lost to, uh, uh, got a win over Malsevich, excuse me, your guy as well. Shout out Mississippi State. His only two losses, three sets to Henning, three sets to Garrett Johns. That's a damn good fall. Chris Hallioris, that's a damn that that's a number two singles player quality. Fall. I mean, he's seven in the rankings right now.
1: Yeah, it's certainly nothing to hang your not hang your hat on there. I mean, you know, you, you the last one to Garrett Johns, another guy that's had a great yeah. run. Uh, you know, with with a lot of uh, pro tourney success, et cetera, uh, and then Phil Henning has been coming back. You know, it's the All American finalist, Phil Henning. Yeah, really strong as well. So. So to do that, and and I mean, I will tell you what, Toby Samuel had a great, great fall. And, so and did knocked, Waldeeb. And Waldeeb had off. a it, Waldeeb yep. had
0: a much needed bounce back fall, and Basing beat him too.
1: Yeah. So it was. Yeah. He's he definitely. You'll take, you throw that up there. You'll if you throw those names on a board and go, how are we going to do? Will you take five and two? Ah, well, I don't know. The player probably says, no, I want to go seven and zero, oh, but. <laughs> But outside of that, would the coach get a five and two? That's that's a success, absolutely.
0: I think the problem is we. I do this too frequently. I'm sure you do it as well. I I know you do it, Chris. Um, where we just call player top ten guy, like that's a top ten guy. Because if you actually start to think it down, you'll get to ten very very quickly, and you might name some names before you get to basing. But I'll say this: Stanford's got two top twenty five guys before you even get to any of the new additions in Arthur Ferry and Max Basing, and that's a strong place to start. Now, outside of that is where the Stanford returners get fascinating, Chris, and they need some of their guys from last season who maybe struggled a little bit or you know, just weren't the superstars this team perhaps needs them to be moving forward. They're going to need a little bit more development. Out of some of those returners, and you know certainly the big one, uh, the place you probably start uh, is with Aryan Chaudhry, the junior out of Santa Clara, California. You look at what Chaudhry was able to do last year: 19 and 8 overall, 7 and 4 in dual match play, 6 and 3 between his time at the number five and six position. Now you look for Chaudhry here uh, in the fall. Chaudhry two and two. Overall, so didn't play a ton of tennis there either. Did uh, get a win over a ranked player in Portland. Sema losses to Timmy Zietvogel of Pepperdine. Hanshi Lin of Washington. That's option number one. I mean, again, some of the other returners they bring back, Philip Kolozinski, you look for Kolozinski last season, did not play any singles matches. And, you know, you look for Kolozinski here in the fall, goes 4-3 and three overall. Not exactly any signature results from him this fall, perhaps to write home about. Again, uh, I'm, I'm filibustering here a, a little bit as well. Alex Lee, Anders Mata, neither of them big contributors last year. Lee 3-6, and six. Mata 1-4, and four. Neither standout falls. Do we count Neil Rajesh as a returner or a new addition? Because he wasn't on the <laughs> roster last year. But of course, Rajesh, a guy who was a Pac-12, you know, uh, in the mix sort of regional rookie of the year sort of guy, reached, you know, 98 in singles as a freshman, went, you know, 14-9 uh, in singles play for the team, 6-3 and three as a sophomore. We didn't see him last year. But look, that's the wave of returners. And I'll tell you what, again, even before we get to the new additions, Chris, I know we feel really good about Ferry and Basing. I don't feel a particular way about any of the past five names I've listed. Do you?
1: No. A- a- and honestly, you know, some of those guys half, I mean, absolutely. We talked about, we said Ferry and Basing, we're going to get to you know, the fact that we will hope we'll get know, to we the should,
0: superstar freshmen. Yes. For yeah, those we Stanford should have two wonder.
1: guys coming into the lineup, but but we'll get to those two, but that still leaves two spots yeah. in the lineup. And so of all the guys you just mentioned, you know, it, it really, it's really only what I will, I will say it's not super deep right now because it's three guys battling for two spots. You got Chaudry, you got Kolozinski, you got Rajesh. And Two of those three are going to have to step up and and be solid, solid guys. And to me, the big question mark is Neil Rajesh didn't play last year. Was actually, you know, had a lot of a lot of potential in him when he came in as a freshman, had looked good. Can he get back to that? I think he's probably still got the bigger potential of, of that group. They've just got to find it from him because, yes, some, some two of those three guys have to step up. I think Chowdhury ends up in there no matter what, which means now we're down to Kolosinski, Rajesh. One of them better be solid.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, Rajesh has probably, well, Chowdhury has the best track record of them all because he did it last season. And again, Aryan Chowdhury, 19 and eight overall, seven and four in dual match play. If he's your five, your six, the junior. You don't feel great about it. You don't feel terrible, certainly, with Chaudhry in that position, particularly through the meat of that Pac 12 schedule. Again, if we get 2019 Neil Rajesh, the Rajesh, or excuse me, 2019 2020 freshman year Neil Rajesh, the one who pre COVID looked like one of the definitive freshmen and, you know, one of the definitive guys in that junior class. Of course, it's a loaded junior class, so he would have been overshadowed certainly by the Mondays, by the Virginia Three, by the Braswells of the World, but he was part of the reason you felt so encouraged about that freshman class in particular. Cannon Kingsley, by the way, I think in that class as well. Or I guess he's a year younger than those guys. But the point is or a year older than those guys. But the point is we didn't see him last year at all, and so it's tough to say which Rajesh we're getting back. Now, again, from a fall perspective, you look uh, for Rajesh. He went 4-2 and two overall in the fall, got uh, pretty solid wins over uh, a couple of players, you know, UNLV, UC Santa Cruz, Pacific, etc., but didn't face a, a top 125 guy. Didn't get to face any of the big names, I suppose the biggest name he did face, Ryder Jackson in the Northwest Super Regional match. He lost 7-5 in the third. And guess what? I guess Jackson will be playing a little bit higher probably than 4-5 or in the lineup for Cal. But you feel like if you're going to be a really good number 5 singles player, Ryder Jackson's the sort of player you probably have to beat. So that he's playing that match competitively is certainly encouraging, Chris. But I guess that's my way of saying you have two piles of returners for the Stanford Cardinal. You have Basing and Ferry. And then you have a bunch of unknowns and you really need some of those unknowns to click for this team to be the best version of themselves. That said, with all of those unknowns, why do we have the Stanford Cardinal at number seven in comparison to where, you know, we just talked about Kentucky yesterday, where you know, Lapidot body. Those are far more known commodities than Rajesh or Chaudhry for Stanford, or even as you look at USC, right, with Strade, Colby, Mock. You know a little bit more about those guys than you do the Stanford crew. Well, here's the thing. When you bring in a former Junior Slam champion and that's not your number one freshman, you're bringing in some darn good newcomers to the team. And certainly that's what the Stanford Cardinal is able to do here this season with the freshmen they bring in. And it starts with the greatest 14-year-old I've ever seen with my own eyes. And obviously he's a little bit older than that now, but maybe the biggest winner. Of the entire fall, you could argue it wasn't ITA All-American champion Ethan Quinn. You could argue it was ITA All-American consolation champ, ITA fall Nats champ, and a freshman who went 17-1, and Chris, in his inaugural fall in college tennis, and that, of course, is Nishesh Bassavaretti. Now, let's just do two minutes on Nishesh real quick, because again, 17-1 and overall in the fall. Here are some of the players he beat. Elliot Spazieri, Antoine Cornut Andrew Fenty, Finn Bass, the aforementioned Ryder Jackson, who by the way he beat Owen three in the Super Regional final, he beats JJ Tracy. Really good win over Philip Planasek of Alabama, who was ranked 13 at the time. He gets a win over Inyaki Montez. Win over Colton Smith, Tedor Huska. The only loss on his resume, 6-3 in the third to Garrett Johns, who we just went through, was one of the breakout players, number one seed, I believe, at ITA Fall Nats. I mean, come on now. 17-1 in your first 18 matches, and you have me pontificating of my four favorite backhands right now in the world. Djokovic one, Zverev two, Korda three, and honest to god Chris Baosav ready four. Like, and that's not hyperbole, that's just fact.
1: <laughs> what were you doing before we started this pod? Come on. <laughs> <to it. laughs> Let's not get carried away. Absolutely outstanding fall. First Absolutely second to Ethan Quinn, no matter what you say. <laughs> Quinn didn't lose a match. Quinn had pro success. But that being said, yeah, I mean, for a freshman to come in and <clears throat> and do what he did, like you said, 17 and one, the quality of the wins he's got. Uh, yeah, there that and which is why we said, hey, we're talking about Ferry and basing. I have no idea. I mean, I don't think, I don't think there's any doubt, Arthur Ferry is one on that team. I don't know who two is. Is it basing? Is it possible already? Uh, I mean, it, it could go either way. It, he had that kind of fall and shows that kind of potential. You probably don't start out there, but my God, if the, the kid just did what he did and you start him out at three, I mean, that's, it, it's almost a joke. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, that's going to be, uh, that's going to be a really interesting, really fun. Uh, and and part of the reason you know, part of the reason we're so high on Stanford, because we just know that top three, you're 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 a coach Goldstein. You'll stack those three against any three in college tennis. You don't care.
0: No, I mean, uh, to your point to right there, I said with Ferry and Basing, they have two of the top 25 players in the country with Bats of Veretti, you have three of the top twenty-five players in the country. Like, and yep. that is not hyperbole. That is legitimately yeah, that, make that's your list. A legit take yeah, sure. make your list, folks. It's gonna when you get to name number twenty-five. I think Ferry and Boss are actually the unimpeachable names on that list. I think Basing is the one that maybe, maybe you can get to twenty five names before you include him. But that's why. Right there, when you have a top three that rolls that deep. I know college tennis is a different world now than it was back in 2019 prior to the pandemic. But Chris, in our lifetime, in the lifetime of this podcast, I only need to point to one team. Max Cressy, Keegan Smith, Govinanda. That UCLA team, and I love you, Ben Goldberg, if you're listening to this. But that UCLA team was, look, we're going to win those three. And one of you just has to pull off something else because we're going to be three points on the board. Just find us a fourth. Like, that's all you need to do. And simply put, with how good Basavareti has been through the fall And the fact that you feel like Ferry's going to be playing that number one spot to start, but if he's not, and it's Nishesh at one, boy, the idea of Ferry at two and just the concept of basing at three after he lost two total matches playing the two through four spots last year, and now you're asking him to do that again, that's a really good top three. That is why this team is ranked seven, is it not? Absolutely. I I do want
1: to point out, please, I mean, especially knowing who you are and where your allegiance lies after Michigan, all you former Virginia guys on the team that we're shown played six that want to send hate mail to Gruskin right now, please do so. How you could leave that team out out of that conversation in terms of, you know,
0: there's five guys there. (laughs) <laughs> no, you want to know why they're not? Because it's a different conversation. The UCLA team doesn't even come close to scratching <laughs> the surface of those UVA teams, Chris. I'm talking that, about- That was
1: the beginning. That, the end, that end of that we're sold, team is sort of the beginning of our podcast. But yeah, uh, no, I totally agree. This Chris, th- That top three is ridiculous.
0: I- go listen to the Petros pod. There's a moment where he starts talking crap about the 2017 UVA team. And you can hear me say, go, I go, dude, we, and then I pause and I go, dude, Virginia tanked the regular season match against you guys in 17. (laughs) I was like, I was like, if you think they were trying in that match, go watch back the tape. Like you're crazy. If you think that 2017, I
1: Soderlund, Richie. Yeah.
0: I mean, are you kidding? JC and Henrik are the best five and six we will ever, I don't care in this COVID era. Like, yeah. Gujer and Shelton were cute. Like, that was an adorable five and six. You know, Gianni <laughs> Ross and Botzer's pretty cute as well. I'll take Aragonian home. You know what? Let's get spicy here. Johnny Walker's not even in the building, Chris. F- the 98 Stanford Cardinal five and six singles player. I know Alex Kim is playing five and six singles for you guys. I'll take Virginia's five and six in those instances over the uh, the Stanford team from that era. Now, I'll take Brian, Brian Goldstein tomorrow. I'll, I'll take, I will take modern day Bob Brian, modern day Mike Bryan, and modern day Paul Goldstein as my top three. It's and still you're going to leave pretty, Brian Walters out? No, exactly. it still feel pretty good about it. And then let's not maybe <laughs> fa- state the fact that Walters plays four on that team, which is just like, again, best team in college tennis history. No one denies that. They lost like two individual points throughout the course of a season. Go listen to my interview with Paul Goldstein talking about that team last year. You distracted me from my point. Here's why UCLA is the comparison though, right? Is because, and I do think it's worth noting, one of the big concerns for this, well, we'll actually we'll get to that concern in a little bit, just to finish this point. In the regular season, against the Washingtons of against pretty much any non top 16 team don't you feel like a top 3 of Ferry, nashash basing at a minimum they're up to 1
1: you 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 hope i yeah. think it's going to be you know th- they're going to be matches where that could be tested they're going to you know they're going to play georgia in the sec challenge yeah. that's going to be a great you know Ferry versus Quinn, Henning versus somebody. And I, you know, we don't know necessarily know who they're gonna throw at three. Stanford probably favored in the three match, but but there are going to be teams that certainly uh can compete there. But yeah, you gotta like you gotta like your chances of of being up two one in in most cases.
0: Yeah. And I I mean, again, the thing for the Stanford team is, you know, those are their top three. And then we haven't even mentioned the Junior Slam champion they are bringing in in Samir Banerjee now. The key thing, of course, is we have not seen Samir Banerjee play much over the course of the past six months in general. Now, he played three college matches here. For what it's worth, did go three sets with Trey Hildebrand at the ITA All-Americans in qualifying. Certainly not a bad result for the freshman, but I believe he's coming off of wrist surgery, Chris. And so, you know, this is a guy who is nursing his way back to health. You look for Banerjee, who, for those of you who don't know, 2021 Junior Wimbledon Boys Singles champion Banerjee. Listed at 6'2", I would say he's closer to 6'3", but again, who knows? Uh, Perhaps I'm just doing a little bit of projecting here. The point is he's got some big weapons, right, that serve as the foundation of his success and the best version of Samir Banerjee. If we get 2021 Junior Wimbledon champion Samir Banerjee, who is certainly not going to play any higher than three singles in the lineup to start, and you feel like is pretty firmly in that four spot if everyone's healthy. You know, st- to start the spring season, the concept of Samir Banerjee at four is certainly appealing, is it not, Chris?
1: Oh yeah, I I, <clears throat> I think the only questions there really are, as you alluded to, our health. I mean, yeah. yes, he had a he 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 had a broken wrist, came back from a broken wrist, and hasn't honestly played. We haven't seen him play since the end of October, uh, and you know has had limit. You know. I'll say limited court time that we've been able to see from him. So, so that's just a big unknown. Uh, if, if he's able to play to, you know, if he's healthy and can play and can play every day. Now, you know, not only, uh, not only does he need to be healthy, but I mean, the college tennis season is an absolute grind. It's a lot of tennis and it's every day and a couple, couple matches a week where, you know, you might be able to get away in missing a tournament here or there, uh, on, on the junior circuit, but not now you're, you're needed, you know, nonstop. And if he's in a, in the shape where he's got to take time here or there, you know, that's not, that's not good for this team because they're not deep. So we've already talked about that. They need him absolutely in there every match. So, we get a healthy uh, a healthy Samir. I think it's I think they're they're very, very dangerous now. yeah, like you said he's probably four uh Chowdery's probably five, and then there's a battle for six. but but without him, if if he indeed is still having, you know, some some hanging over wrist issues, it's it's not a good sign,
0: yeah. I, I mean, and the wrist issue is just not a fun one to have, obviously. now here's a trivia question for you, Chris. When was the last time Stanford made the quarterfinals? I'm curious um, because I think we've covered the team strengths, right? We're all pretty clear the strength of this team is just how rock solid they are, obviously, in their top three win healthy. The top four, you know, again, the theories, the names they have. Ferry Basing, Basavarati, you ride with that top three till the till the end. A healthy Banerjee thrown into the mix. You love the f- top four. That's the strength, but again, weakness and concerns as we move towards that element, what might hold this team back? I'm just curious. Again, I filibustered for you here. When's the last time you think Stanford made the quarterfinals? I I,
1: I definitely don't know the answer. I'm going to guess it was one of the Tom Fawcett years.
0: So if you remember correctly, that team got upset early in Stanford, right? They lost to Ole Miss in that final. Yeah, I remember them losing Geller. at
1: home to Ole Miss.
0: Yeah, uh, and and I believe I want to get the exact year right for that. That was back in 2018. No, they lost that match. Yeah, 2018 was that Mississippi. That was the year they made the national indoors finals, and they lose to Wake Forest in that final. Again, Geller at two, Fawcett at one, Samir Kumar at three. Oh, Janenderer was on that roster. That was a team. Let me just tell you, that 2018 Stanford team losing in the round of 32 the way they did was disappointing. The last time Stanford made the NCAA quarterfinals, and I remember this match, 2012 was the last time they did it. They lose wow. 4-0 in the quarterfinals at Georgia to the University of Virginia. Of course, the year before that, they play in the quarterfinals at Stanford. They lose a 4-3 thriller to Virginia. Shout out Sonam Singh over Alex Clayton. Shout out Ryan Thatcher, the only player to beat Alex Damjan in Damjan's freshman regular season in dual match play. I actually talked about this with Bradley Klon on a mini-break podcast from last Friday, if all of you listeners want to go hear that. But it's been 10 plus years since the Stanford team has made a quarterfinal. And I do think at a certain point, when you look at the long-term, you know, again, weaknesses for this team and any concerns you may have, I think it starts there. And I think it we have to make the acknowledgement, it's difficult for any college athlete to be, uh, or any college student athlete to be the student half of that equation as a student athlete. It's that much harder at Stanford. Like, I'm just sorry. Academically, things are that much more rigorous for a Stanford Cardinal. Go ask any player what it's like to have to go through the NCAA tournaments when you're in the midst of midterms. And I'm not saying that hasn't happened at other schools as well, because of course it happens. But some of the war stories you hear from the Stanford players, you do feel particularly apprehensive about as you look at this Stanford team. And, you know, again... You look at some of the injury concerns that these guys have had. You know, there are rumors that Boss has got a bad wrist coming out of the fall, and this is a guy who was unequivocally one of the best, if not the best 12-, 13-, 14-year-old in the world before injuries slowed him down through the back half of his junior career. He is someone who has been hit with the injury bug, and again, with how reliant this team might be on its top three, they cannot afford an Ashesh injury at any point, really, of the season, you know, Banerjee coming off of wrist surgery. I just feel like this team is a a top four injury away from disaster, Chris.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If one of those guys goes down, it's, it's a, it's a long year in, in terms of expectations. I mean, they'll still be obviously very good, uh, and they'll, you know, they'll still hold a ranking, probably still be, even if they lost one, they'd probably still be a top 16 team and get to, you know, get to, to, you know, make it that far. But uh, that would, that would definitely be probably the end of the run if, if that happened.
0: Yeah. And again, the injury, uh, it's, it's, it's just that Nashesh has the injury history as well. And that you're already hearing again about some wrist issues for him to start the season. No, again. I do also think it's worth noting this is not the year if you're a Stanford Cardinal fan to to really gear up and amp up the expectations that year's next season when they bring in Godzik and Hudson Rivera and Kyle Kang to supplement what is already a really fun core of Basing, Banerjee, Bassavaretti and. God willing, he stays one more year, Arthur Ferry. If you can get all four of those guys to stay in 2024, now you're talking about an unequivocal top five team entering the season, right? Now you're talking about a team that's got seven, you feel like, legitimate players outside of whatever you get from Rajesh or Chaudhry or any of the... uh auxiliary pieces i suppose for the sake of this conversation right i feel like 2023 is the building year chris 2024 is the all right like now we need like this is the year
1: yeah i i I mean there's so much potential on the roster this year but i'm with i mean much like we had the discussion about boy if georgia could just get alex mickelson to come this year i you feel the same like if stanford could just get one or two of those guys you know between but as you mentioned between kang and and god's sake and uh, i'm spacing the other name right now uh hudson rivera and hudson rivera that are coming next year yeah if they could get you know one or even two of those guys to come now for sure a huge upgrade but but yeah it's it's a warranted concern it's it's probably as much talent as they have at the top three, because they need the depth, it's probably a year early.
0: Well, that's the concern. That's exactly to crystallize it. Is It's just the concern is that it's a year early to, to pull the trigger on Stanford being a top eight seed, being injury proof. You know, there's like a USC team's a year further along, right? They took their lump at Ohio State in the round of 16 last year. The more I think about it, the more I regret having Stanford at number seven. Where I just like it because I think their upside is that high, right? Like their top four could be as good of a top four as any team in the country. Even what we just talked about of Kentucky, I think the best version of Ferry, Bosforetti, Basing, and Banerjee is actually better than. Than the best version of Dra- uh, Draxel, Alafia, Body, and Iini, right? Uh, uh, Draxel, Alafia, excuse me, Body, and Lapidat. Like, I actually think the best version of the Stanford Four is probably a little bit better. But now my concern is, you're doing a lot of projecting if you're getting, if you're saying they're gonna be at the best version of themselves,
1: right? No, yeah. no. I mean, you're you're right, and you're going you're you're stealing. Yeah, you're stealing my my take when we get into the into the predictions here. Yeah, I mean, I, I are we I, about
0: to get a round of sixteen prediction out of you?
1: I, Ooh, yeah. I, I no, think, that's a
0: tease. That's a tease. Yeah, that's a tease. I, I
1: think it's it's an interesting thought.
0: Okay, I like that. I may have to backtrack as well and pull a team forward because. It's interesting as we do these live that we start to regret some of our takes. But look, again, the flip side of that, as we've alluded to, the top four for Stanford can't be that freaking good. Like, again, the best version to all of these players. You have a junior Wimbledon champion playing four singles. Come on now. Like, I, I don't think that's a tough sell to all of you Stanford Cardinal fans out there. And again, projected lineup-wise, we've kind of been through this, but just to put a final bow on it, do you start Fairy 1 or Nishesh? If they're both healthy. Oh, Ferry
1: has to be one.
0: You're right. No, way you, no, no way right. You you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I'm just saying Nishesh is plenty good to play one. And yeah. Ball-proof. I mean,
1: yeah. 90% of the team out know there would is? take
0: him. You know what we call this? A Fawcett-Geller situation. I think we've been here before with Stanford. We're like, could Geller have played one over Fawcett? Absolutely. Did you need him to? No. So we did. Right, I agree and you, you
1: don't want and you don't want to throw the freshman just right into the fire at one. You know, just getting his first taste of dual. Right, he's played a lot of college matches so far. He's not. He's yet to play a dual match.
0: You're right, but Nishesh, knowing him like I do, he's not even going to hear the crowd. Like, talk about a kid with tunnel vision. I don't know if he listens to. He is just so focused. And again, fourth best back in in the I'm, right I'm,
1: now. I'm slightly upset. You must be like, you know. 20 miles from the kid right now why are you not at Carmel racket club seeing if the wrist is hurt i don't know well, well,
0: oh it's because i'm back in south oh British you're Canada. you're in yeah, yeah that's yeah, the only yeah, reason yeah. no yeah. i'm just i'm pretty sure the <laughs> wrist is hurt let me just say i i'm, I'm fairly certain but i'm not a hunt i just again it'll be reported by someone who's smarter than me i suppose um I mean, look. Okay, outside of that, Basing can't be lower than three, right? So we agree with him there. I think we agree. The best version of this team has Banerjee at four. What do you do? Chaudry five Rajesh six. That's
1: that's where I start. Uh, you really need Rajesh to step up. I mean, I think it's I think it's Chaudry five and either Kolozinski or or Rajesh six, and your you know, Rajesh has. I, I think probably got the higher upside to him. So you, you give him the experience and you put him in that spot and hope that he can earn it.
0: Let me ask you this. Who benefits more? If Stanford got Kang this year or if Georgia got Mickelson?
1: Oh, Georgia. No question.
0: If Georgia got Mickelson, now you've got your six. Now it's yeah. like roll the balls out, let's play. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with – with uh, what's his name? I want to say Sertorusic is his name, but that's – it's Nino Sertorusic. Nino is, Sertorusic. Yeah, no, no. Who's Theodore? Yuska. Yuska. Yuska, yeah, I, y- Yuska, Yuska. It's, yeah, I just see him as Sertarusic in my head, but it's Yuska. <laughs> Thank you. That's literally – you know what's sad, Chris, is you're like one of four people in the world who would be like, oh, you mean Sertarusic, like the challenger guy? And so, yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad that you can understand why I mix them up uh, in my head. All right, beyond that, let's look at the schedule for the Stanford Cardinal and certainly kickoff weekend-wise, uh, you look for Stanford. They were the 15th seed as such. It is going to be no cakewalk for them, particularly if they aren't at their healthiest to even get to the national indoors. Now, they're playing host, but toast to Pepperdine, a really talented, experienced Texas AM team as well. And then, first match of the weekend, they'll play always frisky Georgia Tech. Look, I don't know if it's a layup, Chris, that they're going to end up making national indoors. And in fact, I guarantee you when we do our kickoff weekend predictions, one of me, you and Jay will have Stanford not making the national indoors. I'm locking that in as a prediction on our predictions right now. Of course, you look at the rest of the Stanford schedule heading into 2023. They're participating in that SEC Pac-12 challenge, so they'll play Georgia, February 4th, Florida, February 5th. They've got at Cal prior to the kickoff weekend as well. Then Texas coming to town on March 9th. Obviously, they've got the full Pac-12 schedule as well. For what it's worth this year, they get USC, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State all at home. Not the worst place for this Stanford Cardinal team to be. I'll tell you what, in those Texas-Georgia-Florida matches, Chris, if they can go 2-1 and one in those three with all the Pac-12 matches that they have at home this season, that's another reason to like them as top eight, is that a lot of the big matches come at home, and they're going to have some opportunities to rack up some big wins as well. Yeah,
1: some. I mean, I don't know. I I, I was looking at the schedule. I don't know if you know the, the USC all of their home matches say Stanford, but then USC says Palo Alto.
0: Is that in a different site? No, that's just they're getting cute. <laughs> yeah.
1: But uh but yeah, I mean Look, obviously, you, you look at that Georgia Florida weekend, and you think, well, Florida's got six brand new guys in the lineup, right? None of them were starters last year. We've got to do, you know, Navy was for Notre Dame, but for sure, you know, that that's a match you just have to win if mm-hmm. if you're Stanford and you want to be a, a top eight team. Uh, and so then it comes down to that Georgia match. Is bats? I mean, and that's the you know the team we're kind of slotting them. We were putting them up to comparisons there. That's that's going to be an interesting match. Texas, I would say, you know, it's a home match on an on a neutral court. Stanford would probably be the underdog home match that makes it a, makes it a really tight match. Yeah, if they can go if they can go two and one, meaning they've got to win, probably they've got to They must beat Florida. They've got to split the Georgia, Texas matches. Yeah, it it gets a little bit interesting. I will be, you know, my problem with their schedule is God forbid they don't make indoors. First of all, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, they get the, they get a, the only decent warm up match on the schedule pre pre kickoff weekend is at Cal, Mm -hmm. right? Every, you know, the others, they got St. Mary's and Santa Clara. Okay. They're going to win those matches. We all know that, uh, they get that one, you know, decent and they're still going to beat Cal, but they might get a couple competitive matches in there uh, and then they go into kickoff weekend. If they somehow don't make it out of kickoff weekend, they roll out of there into that sec challenge against Georgia, Florida. And if they don't go to indoors, they don't get another, what I will call competitive match for more than a month because they've got the only matches on their schedule are Sacramento state and San Francisco. There's an indoors hole. There's a, you know, a Pacific coast doubles tournament and then it's all the way to march 9th until you play texas so it that's a long long time to go for your guys without playing a competitive college match and then yeah i i just don't like the really late start yeah i i mean it would be it's critical actually that they got those georgia florida matches i didn't count the dates I sort of feel like they are a couple short here and that we may see something pop in the schedule Uh, and and maybe they do have a couple open dates left, but, uh, but yeah, that, and and it may be pending what happens kickoff weekend. I I would say, you know, they somehow don't make indoors. Maybe a match pops up on, on that weekend against someone, but, but that's a, it's a dicey schedule if they're not playing indoors the the Georgia Florida weekend is even even at that, you know, they they do that and then it's a it's a couple weeks to indoors. And then, you know, probably three weeks from that until Texas when the season really gets going.
0: Yeah. No, I'm you laid it out beautifully. I mean that Arizona that Pac-12, excuse me, SEC weekend particularly if kickoff doesn't go well because it's the very next weekend now you almost have to beat Georgia if you want to stay alive in that top 8 race otherwise you better go undefeated during Pac-12 play because again yes Texas would be a big points-getter later in the season. But outside of that, it's all about the conference play. And with that in mind, let's get into our predictions. How do we view Stanford faring in the Pac-12 this season? I mean... And by the way, why isn't this team higher than number seven? I feel like we've been a little too glass half empty on this poll, but it's because they're a little thin at the bottom of their roster. Again, as good as we know their first four can be, where are they going to find the options? And again, how much energy, how much will this Stanford team have left in the tank after, again, for the past five years, uh, 10 years, you've just seen how difficult it is for this Stanford team to be playing its best tennis come May. You know, that said, again, predictions. First of all, do they play USC four times again this season, Chris? Yes or no? I mean, four times? I don't think so, no. Just to recap, because this truly is incredible. Last year, they played USC before the kickoff event, at the kickoff, during the regular season, and during the Pac-12 tournament. That's just impressive. Like, shout out to these two. That might have been the best rivalry in college tennis last season. Actually, it was Arizona-USC, and everyone knows why. Um, you like how I just throw those throwaways in there, sneak them into <laughs> minute number 61 uh, of the podcast here? <laughs> all right. Pac-12. Or first of all, do they get through their kickoff weekend as of right now? Yes or yes or no? Yeah, I think they do. Mm, I, they should. a m man. AM's really good and they're much more experienced.
1: I think it's for me, it's going to be the same answer as it is for every part of the season. And that is how healthy. are, are yeah. the key guys healthy and playing?
0: Well, by the way, that oh sorry,
1: go ahead. If I mean I was yeah, if the, the all the aforementioned guys we talk about, if those top four guys, and primarily the ones I mean, Ferry and Basing, we don't have any concerns with right now. But between Basavareti and uh, and Banerjee, if one of those guys is out, they're they're in a lot of trouble. Uh, yeah. But if they're if they're healthy and they're in the lineup, uh, and I'll even go so far as to say, you know, if the top three, which includes Basavareti, are healthy and in the lineup, they're going to make it through most places. If they've got all four of them, uh, you know. I'll give that they're probably going to not fare all that great at five and six. And they're going to be just, you know, the goal would be split and then, you know, split five, six, do our thing at, at the top four and we better figure doubles out. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think they're just, they're just too talented at the top. I mean, yes. A&M is a very good team. Stanford should go three and O at the top of the lineup.
0: Yeah, it, they should. Yeah, it's, it's well said. And, you know, again, if, here's the issue, though. The other thing I would sneak in, Stanford played 19 doubles matches in the fall. Chris, what was the record?
1: Oh, well, that, that's that's why I said, you know, and let's, you know, let's do something in doubles. I, I, I don't know what it is. I'm going to say it's probably not great. 19 total matches. Give me a guess. Come on now.
0: You know ah, the rules. Give you a
1: guess. Uh, I'm going to go s- 7 and
0: 12. Four and 15. (laughs) Not great. Not great for the Cardinal in the fall. And yeah, again, what was the difference for UCLA? I keep going back to that team. Cressy and Smith always won at one doubles. So you knew you were up three and a half to nothing. And you're like, we just need another half a point in doubles or a full point in singles. Stanford needs to find that sort of equivalent. I'll say this, though. They didn't have Ferry in the fall. And we know how good he is as a doubles piece as well. So you can throw that fall record out. All right. We get to it. Pac-12, regular season. Where do they finish? They're our highest ranked team. Exactly. I mean, it's it's tough. I will I will say,
1: if the guys are all healthy, and that's what we're gonna make our you know we make our predictions based on, if they're all healthy, I they win the Pac twelve.
0: All right. I think they win one of them. I'm not sure. If, I don't think it's gonna be the regular season. I think they win the Pac twelve tournament. But I just again, the depth. Yeah, I, I, no, I, the That's a great
1: take. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I think they will because of the qu- injury concerns and health questions they're bound to have a little and the and the lack of depth if they miss a little bit of time during the regular season it will hurt they'll take a loss usc you know May take the may take the regular season title and then they take the the conference tournament.
0: Yeah, I could, I also feel better about the Stanford team being really good for a week than I do about them being good for two months. For what it's worth, like I could see them putting together a healthy, exceptional week of tennis. I need to see it for a full month to believe in it. All right, NCA tournament, where you got them going? I mean, I've got them in the quarters, but
1: but I'll say this: I, I'm going to I will leave them in the quarters. But should we find out that, you know, whether it's uh, whether it's the fact that Banerjee's risk, we already know right off the bat and he doesn't even play in January is a problem or Bassem already has got an issue. If there are issues with either one of those two, I pull Georgia in and push them out.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a very good call. Here's my take. Whoever finishes, because I think one of USC and Stanford is going to be a top eight seed. I don't know which one yet. I know the Pac-12 got boxed out last year of the top eight seeds. I think there's going to be space for one of them. I think the Pac-12 is going to be deep enough this year to provide those sorts of ranked wins. Although if Stanford doesn't make the national indoors, it gets a little bit tougher for the conference. Whoever finishes a, ranked higher between them or USC gets to the quarters. I'm not sure who it's going to be yet.
1: That's a bold take. Look, the 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 rankings formula knows nothing about conferences and could care less. So yeah. to think that it's, oh, someone from the conference has to make it. Yeah, it's a logical assumption. means absolutely nothing in the formula. I think it's a bold take to say that you think the conference is strong enough. I'm not sure I agree. Really? I don't, I don't know after those two teams – Arizona, Arizona is a top 20 team. Arizona is is going to be there. After that, you're hoping for some combo of UCLA, Arizona State, Utah and I maybe mean,
0: one of the Washingtons?
1: Washington, Washington like I suppose. Three guys, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I I think it's a rough take. I don't. I, Arizona State, I think, is gonna have some struggles. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's them. Oregon. Eh.
0: I, I mean, I don't. I Tough don't place it. to play, but I agree with you. I don't know if I see. It. What about yeah, Cal? I, I Cal's the big keep, one. I don't. Yeah, I.
1: Yeah, they. They really, really, really
0: need Ryder top 25 to go Cal. over there and yeah. pick that team up. And, for sure. And, and are you? Or are you? Are Kikuchi, like Kakuchi needs to be as good as he was in the summer.
1: Yeah. I mean, th- yes, exactly. They, I mean, look, they, they know, they, I mean, they should win those matches, but what they really need is for those teams to be better and someone's got to step up. I don't know that it's going to be there for them. So uh,
0: that's a yeah. very good take. So let me ask you this USC Stanford, if I set the over under in in season conference losses, they only play each other once in season conference losses, over under two and a half. Do you take the over or the under? Under combined no combined
1: oh combined
0: <laughs> but but the but the match against each other doesn't count no it does so that would be oh. one of the two and a half so oh, i'm so already seating you one so it's really one and a half in the rest of the match yeah so so do
1: those two teams lose two match you know
0: yeah i'm giving you like one bad i'm giving you like one of them's allowed to have a no show weekend like one bad no show. yeah but
1: will they will they both do it
0: um
1: I, I actually will say I'll, I'll take the over just because, yeah, I I think I think because of the lack of depth and the prone injury proneness, if you will, whatever the heck the right word sure. is there that that Stanford will do it. So I, I would say odds are sure they'll take two. There'll be two losses between the two of them elsewhere, just because Arizona could beat either one of them anyway.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so, yeah, it, you got to take the over. That's exact,
0: if you're an Arizona fan. Jed Middle Jed Middleton is plays for them, right? Who's big fan? No, of the he, listener. he
1: left and went to play for brother. Uh, you know, brother Luke.
0: Um. Okay. Oh yeah, and, uh, you're right. Shout out to you, good memory. So then Jed's not going to get mad at us for this segment <laughs> of the podcast anymore. Uh, that's good. Yeah, I was about man, to apologize gone. to him. Uh, yeah, sorry, Arizona fans. Um, He's Boise State now, right? <laughs> yeah. No, good call by you. And again, I think that's that's a very fair assessment. So with all that said. That's your look at the number seven, Stanford Cardinal. Again, Chris has them quarterfinals. I I will as well just because I said we're sticking to our rankings, but it's really – do you want to take a bet? Who finishes ranked higher, them or USC? Whoever you want, I'll take the other. We'll bet lunch on it. Golly, man. I'm giving
1: it to you. You can pick. I could pick. Well, first of all, we all know I'm buying anyway, but <laughs> –
0: <laughs>
1: so so am i buying with pride or buying in shame? Uh, I'm, I'm buying with pride go trojans
0: that's because chris your 401k is more four than one um <laughs> and so it's fair all right you'll take see here's what i was gonna say you should take stanford because i'm gonna be in la more this year and i'm gonna have to see macy more um I just like it when you're in Macy's doghouse yeah. and I like it. So, you <laughs> fine, know. All right, fine.
1: I'll take Stanford I but offer the, the bet to do with Goldstein's debate hydrogen or electric cars.
0: I mean, which which is fair, I also would say I did call Nishesh's backhand the fourth best right now active of any male player, so I'll take Stanford in that wager cuz you're paying no matter what, as you alluded to. But with all of that said, uh, again, Chris and I will be back on Wednesday to continue our countdown of our top 10 Division One men's college tennis teams heading into 2023 again. Number 10, USC. Number 9, Georgia. Number 8, Kentucky. Now, number Stanford. Number 7. Is Stanford, excuse me, who rounds out our top six? You can find out if you continue to tune in again every Monday and Friday. We're breaking down the D1 men every Tuesday and Thursday. It's John Parsons and I breaking down the D1 women. A shout out as always to our super producer, Danny Westoff, for the <laughs> of an inning job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. With that said, Chris Halliores, any final thoughts before we roll? Absolutely none. <laughs> okay. We cover them all. Then with that said, for the fantastic and soon-to-be buying lunch, Chris Hallioris, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Records and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.